Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. We'll be having conversations in efforts to alleviate fears about becoming a kidney donor. And we're going to talk about when positivity is toxic. All that and more can be found right here on the Gifted Life. Here we go. on the Gifted Life podcast. We are so pleased to introduce you to Amanda and Glenna Fry. Hello, ladies. Hi. You guys, uh, it's a family affair for you in order to make life happen. We love that. We know that your stories are so unique and you each have this pathway and you want to use that to educate others, to inspire others, that it led you to create a nonprofit. We love that, and we want to hear more, but we know that it started somewhere. So, Glenna, you want to start us off and and tell us kind of about the background and uh, what led us to where we are today? Yes, I'd love to. So, I am a nephrology nurse, and back in the 80s, I worked at Medical College of Ohio in Toledo, and I was on the transplant unit where we did, at that time, I don't know if some of you are older, but we had one-on-one nursing care where we would wear a mask and gloves and foot cover and gown and take care of transplant patients as they came out of surgery. And I kind of fell in love with nephrology at that time on the unit. And so that was my first experience with working with people with kidney disease. Um, I also did hemodialysis during those years, peritoneal dialysis and then the transplants. And that's what I loved the most was just watching these people who were very, very sick um, immediately with a a new healthy kidney, feel better, look better, have more energy and have like this new life. So um, over the years uh, working there, I uh, ended up taking care of someone who later became my husband's father. Well, he was always his father, but A long story short, his family had polycystic kidney disease. And so Bob uh, has the disease. His father had it, his uncle, let's see, his grandmother. So his, both of his uh, siblings have it. So with polycystic kidney disease or PKD, each child has a 50-50 chance of getting the disease if one parent carries the gene. So what's been fascinating in his family is every child seems to have gotten it, even with those statistics. So um, we ended up um, getting married and uh, we had two children and that was kind of a tough decision, but we ended up deciding even with their risk of getting the disease that that we would still um, have children. So that was Amanda and she's got a younger brother, Sawyer, who's two years younger than her. Um, So eventually, Bob's kidney function continued to diminish. 
and we're now, it was about in 2002, that he ended up going on dialysis for just a couple months and was being worked up for a living kidney through my niece. So my sister, her daughter, Melanie, decided she wanted to donate her kidney when she was 20 wow. to Bob. And so they went through the surgery and everything went well. Melanie has since um, been married and has three children of her own, and she's doing great with one kidney. I would have donated, except I was not a match. And so a few years later, the paired kidney exchange became available. And so that's when I decided that I always always save my kidney in case Bob needed a second transplant. And we would do the paired exchange. Yeah, Glenna, uh, you know, mentions a kidney paired exchange and kidney paired donation. Of course, uh, as she got into it in, in the early 80s, you know, we were just kind of getting into the list, the wait list and things. And and then kidney paired donation was, wasn't even a, a figment of anyone's imagination. It's really just come to fruition. As we had spoken about in a, in a previous podcast, uh, just in the last really bigger in the last, you know, few years, 10, 12 years, where it allows someone who uh, who doesn't match with their loved one or, or someone that they intend, they can start a chain. And and uh, and of course, it takes uh, the cooperation of multiple transplant centers in, in many cases. And and what it does is you can you know donate your kidney to someone in a in a different transplant center. And that person has someone that wants to donate but doesn't match, and they donate it to someone else, and then they keep on until the chain closes. And uh, and that way it allows people, you know, just like Glenna in in those times, to be able to get Bob, you know, that that kidney at a a sooner period because she would have been willing to donate but but wasn't a match. So, So that whole chain ties it in so that a donation can take place you know, to others, and then someone else donates to Bob, and and of course he gets his 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 life saving kidney much sooner. Fast forward uh, years later, it was probably around um, 2014, and Amanda ended up being diagnosed with PKD also. And the next year, uh, Bob was telling me that uh, he said. Hey, you're getting old. I'm like, <laughs> okay, thank you. So are you. What's your point? <laughs> and he said, he said, you, uh, I don't need a kidney yet. And I know you're saving yours for if I need a second transplant. So if you want to donate a kidney, you probably should do it sooner rather than later. And at that time I was around 57. So I was looking at the 60s, even though there's not really an end you know, specific age when you can't donate, we just knew that, you know, chances would diminish as I was getting, continuing to get older, potentially. Um, so I decided to donate to a stranger. I wanted to, I was hoping to start a chain. And so I ended up going to Cleveland Clinic, which is where all of his health care was being done and his transplant had been. And part of the workup is a routine mammogram. So I had had that done and it had come back negative. 
but because my mother had um, been a high or what had had breast cancer and was considered high risk, um, they wanted me to do an MRI. So I talked to the coordinator. We had I had not done any workup yet, but we were in the process of getting things uh, scheduled. And she goes, yeah, you need to do this MRI just so we're sure that you don't have any um, problems. So um, it was actually a Saturday when I had the MRI done and they did find a lump. And the same day I had an ultrasound and a biopsy and it was confirmed that I had what they call DCIS stage zero. So that's ductal carcinoma in situ, which is stage zero, which is not actually a true cancer. There's no cells in the duct and it doesn't spread, but they still use this terminology and um, some progress and turn into cancer and others don't. So typically they treat everyone the same and, and want the treatment, which they recommended for me was uh, to have a lumpectomy, that area removed, to have radiation, and then later go on an anti-hormone pill for my care. So the first phone call I made when I got the diagnosis was to my coordinator at Cleveland Clinic saying that I, uh, and this was Monday, so I had the biopsy on Saturday. This is Monday, I got the results. I called my coordinator and I said, I can't come tomorrow. The, the workup was literally Tuesday and Wednesday that week. I said, I can't come. I was crying, I was upset. And that wasn't about the cancer, it was because I couldn't donate my kidney. And I knew from experience, from being a transplant nurse, that you had to wait five years after a cancer diagnosis until um, you could proceed with donation or even or getting a kidney if that's what you were trying to do. So we canceled the two days of workup. Um, I went locally and they gave me those options that I discussed, radiation, uh, surgery, and the pills. And I said, no, I, I want a second opinion. I don't think I need all of that treatment for what isn't even considered true cancer. So I went to Cleveland Clinic for the second opinion and talked to an oncologist who specialized in breast cancer. And basically she said, you know what, you can do whatever you want. You can do everything. You can do one or any options of, you know, that were pr presented. Um, but she honestly didn't think I needed to do the radiation and medications if those abnormal cells were removed and the margins were clean. So I knew um, I wanted to get that done as quickly as possible so I could start my five-year clock to be able to donate again. And that was my, I made every decision based on when can I donate my kidney. Um, we were um, at a PKD, polycystic kidney disease conference in Florida at Disney that summer. And I talked, um, they had a speaker that was from Mayo Clinic, a transplant surgeon. And after his lecture, I went up to him and I said, you know, I've heard that a wife had given her husband a kidney after she had a diagnosis of DCIS stage zero. And I said, would you ever consider looking at my results and consider that situation um, if I came to Mayo? And he's like, yeah, we can look at your 
you know, case, um, send me your information. So I had some hope that maybe I could actually donate sooner than five years just based on that prior story and what he said. Uh, since I'm in Ohio and Mayo is a distance away, I decided to go back to Cleveland and see if they would reconsider my case and not just use the policy as the standard, but to actually look at my information, my health, talk to their doctor who said, you really don't have cancer. This is, you know, not active cancer cells. And so they said, yeah, we'll, we'll let our committee uh, take a look at your information. And so eventually after some meetings and they had contacted the oncologist and they had provided, I think she provided an article for them and they ended up saying in, in the fall that I could proceed with workup, that I did not have to wait five years. So I was ecstatic. It's like, yes, oh, I'm wow. on track. Um, not without some work, but, and I knew this was extremely unusual that, um, you know, anyone would, would push the envelope like this um, to try and donate. So I was so determined. I just felt so much like this was my path and that I was meant to donate in this lifetime and, you know, everything I could do under my control, I was going to make that happen. Uh, so I was, um, I think, officially okayed in November um, to be active on the list. I decided to do, um, I, I had already decided non-directed, so I didn't know who I was donating to. Um, I didn't really have control over starting a chain or not, um, but I also was introduced to something called an advanced donation option. And so I uh, chose to get a voucher for my husband and Amanda so that if I donate to a stranger now, they have a voucher and only one of them will get to use it. Um, but if one of them needs a kidney later, they can turn in this voucher, go into the National Kidney Registry to be matched for a kidney later. So I felt like that was a really big win-win for everyone. Someone got help now, and one of my loved ones still gets help later. Okay, such an incredible story from start to finish. Amanda, I want to bring you into the conversation. I mean, I know what you were made of from listening to that. Persistence, you're tough, right. humanitarian, you're kind. Oh, my gosh. And then you add uh, some creativity from you, some design skills, counselor background, and boom, we have a nonprofit. This is crazy. So, uh, Amanda, I want to talk right. to you about um, your life. We heard from Glenna's perspective, but if you could uh, kind of talk about you kind of watching all this growing up, is that what kind of prompted you to go into the, the counselor realm? And then talk about uh, the birth of this nonprofit and wanting to help others. I love that. Yeah. So my story, I would say, probably actually starts uh, with cancer. <laughs> um when I was about two or three, I was actually diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And I went the normal chemo route. I literally did everything to a T and was in remission by age six. And so I grew up in hospitals, oh which to me was normal. Like I'm a marriage and family therapist. As a family therapist, I'll tell you, 
whatever you present to kids as normal, they think is normal. And so I thought it was normal to see Santa in the hospital for Christmas. Um, I thought it was normal to have nurses as great friends and like this playroom down the hall from my room. I mean, I don't have that many bad memories from the cancer experience, but obviously that changes your life and how you view the world. And it's not a normal childhood as Mm. I found out later as I got older and could comprehend what was going on. And so then to transition, I was about 11 when my dad got on dialysis and needed this transplant. And at that stage in life, I'm barely starting to comprehend that like cancer wasn't normal. And then you throw this in and my dad's sick and he needs help. And one of my cousins is donating her kidney to him. And it was just still normal. I mean, like hospitals have been normal my whole life. And I was not scared for him. I really wasn't worried. I actually went to Cleveland Clinic for her nephrectomy and his nephrectomy and transplant. And I was just kind of like hanging out with the adults and part of the team. Um, And my brother, Sawyer, who's a couple years younger, he was young enough so that they had him stay at home uh, at a friend's house for that week. So I felt like I was inside the club just being old enough to kind of understand and to not be too worried about it. Um, so again, normal to be around all of that stuff in my head, which was so silly to think I was like, Hey, I already pulled this random cancer card. There's no way I'll have PKD. Mm. Like that would be really bad luck to have both of these diseases in one lifetime. So I had been walking through life thinking, I'm probably not going to have PKD. I'm really healthy. I'm asymptomatic. Um, I already had cancer. So when I find out I don't have PKD, I'm going to donate my kidney Mm. to someone. And in my head, it did not have to be anyone in particular. It could have been a stranger. Could have been my dad if he needed a second kidney later. I was just like, I don't need both of these. And again, at a really young age, I saw someone give one away and there'd be no issues with it. So very much normalized the idea of living kidney donation for me. Uh, You know, so fast forward to 2014, I'm in grad school. I eventually got an infected cyst, which led to diagnosing my polycystic kidney disease through ultrasound. Mm. And I very vividly remember that I was the most upset about that diagnosis because now I couldn't donate my kidney Mm. to someone. I had watched a parent grow up with PKD. I knew that it would be okay. I knew that I would be okay. Um, You know, I got the bad luck of getting it, but even if you have PKD, only 50% end up in kidney failure and need a transplant or dialysis. So I was like, I've been healthy in every other way. I know about it at a young age. I can manage it. And, you know, with taking some control, let's just, you know, hope I land on the, I don't need a transplant Mm -hmm. side. So that's my current game plan is that I will be lucky enough to not need a transplant. So I've never really been worried about me or my health in like a very big or scared way. I'm also just low on fear in general, but it was just really, really upsetting that now I can't help someone else in this way. And because I had had a blood cancer, I can't donate my blood. I can't do a bone marrow transplant Uh, with PKD. I also could not donate liver. Uh, Since I was a kid, I've actually just 
I go in cycles of growing my hair out really long and then chopping it off and donating mm, it yeah. because that's the only thing that I can give because of all of my health stuff. So that was the hardest part of getting that diagnosis and still is for me, um, which is never anyone else. Everyone else, they're like, oh my gosh, but your health and are you going to be okay? And I'll be mm-hmm. fine. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, but there are, there are people right now who aren't okay. And mm-hmm it would just be so great to be able to help them in a bigger way. Well, so after mom donated her kidney, we were kind of sitting around thinking, now what? Like she has the stance of, you know, she could donate a hundred kidneys, she would. Uh, There's zero regret. Her regret is she wanted to donate to everyone, not just one person. And, uh, you know, she tells me over and over again, that was the hardest part is that when you say yes to one person, you say no to everyone else. And so, we wanted to help more people. And through her going through the living donation process, it became very clear that no one's really talking about it. Unless you have a family member affected by kidney disease or who has donated, or you know, someone in your close circle with one of those two things, no one's talking to the public about donating a kidney while you're alive. The process itself, we found out through her going through it, is not very user friendly. I think we would have had twice as many problems if she wasn't already a nephrology nurse and kind of knew what to expect. I'm sitting here on the counselor side watching, thinking this is not accessible. This is not easy. This requires a lot of problem solving skills and networking and knowing how to advocate for yourself. And those are not things that we teach, uh, especially depending on your class or your socioeconomic status. It's just not made for everyone. Um, Side, you asked about being a counselor, has nothing to do with all the kidney stuff, actually. Um, I don't know, when I was in high school and you're going through that phase of boyfriends, girlfriends, and all the drama and all the gossip and all the fighting, I would be watching on the sidelines thinking, can you guys just talk to each other? And that would clear up a lot of problems. (laughs) I love natural born therapists. (laughs) And so I'm actually a marriage and family therapist, and my primary specialization is working with couples. I very specifically wanted nothing to do with hospitals because I had had enough of them by the time I was an adult. (laughs) Um, I don't mind them. They're fine. But I did not want my job to be in a hospital. And so I work in private practice, and I really don't work with chronic illness or cancer or diseases, I I just work with couples on how do you make your guys' relationship better and happier and more fulfilling. And I love every second of it, but it's really totally separate from all of this stuff, which is so funny because Glenna, it's like her whole life is kidneys. And for me, that was just not the dice I rolled. Um, so yeah, my job is very separate from this nonprofit. I feel like I need to have coffee with you guys so your awesomeness can transfer to me. I love it. (laughs) You guys are amazing. I love your story. And I love that you just are fighting for others. Um, And we do want to tell you, we we think that you might find this interesting and our listeners too. On episode 87 of The Gifted Life, if you have time, check it out. Um, But Jennifer David had phoned in and she said that she was thinking, I'd like to do something nice. I'd like to donate a kidney. She was looking for information. She was struggling to find information. She happened upon our podcast. 
And once she learned some of the facts, uh, just folks having conversation, the normalcy of it, she kind of figured out, um, you know, the, the method uh, to be able to go about it. She went through with it and she helped another, an anonymous stranger, just because it was the right thing to do. And we think it's great. So you guys and your nonprofit, you can find it, mykdc.org, Kidney Donor Conversations. We think you're right on target, guys. So tell us a little bit about the mission and what you're hoping for it um, and a, a little bit about it. So we provide education and support about living kidney donation. Uh, as a nephrology nurse, I always thought it was odd that our local uh, Life Connection of Ohio only talked about deceased donation. And it, it always kind of confused me, like, where's the group for living donation? Like, I just remember thinking that over the years. And so that's what this feels like to me is part of that other half of we've got great, great networking across the United States about deceased donors. And our message is you can be a deceased donor, register on your license and be a living kidney donor. You can do both. It's not an either or, it's an and. And so the more we talk to the general public about living donation, it's not in a pressured way, it's in an educational way. And we don't know who who will be, you know, tapped on the shoulder to say, wow, I think maybe I want to donate my kidney. And so our, our goal is just to have conversations and the people will figure it out themselves. Um, and so that's really our mission now is how do we educate them on the options and the risks and the benefits. And if no one else is going to talk about them, we will. And one of my goals with this nonprofit, um, I grew up with this huge medical family and I understand pretty well the medical terminology and how the healthcare system works and all of that. But like my clients at my counseling job, they don't, they don't understand it. And the terminology is confusing and it's not made for a lay person to understand. It's not made for a high school grad to understand. And so one of my huge goals with this nonprofit is to make this super accessible to everyone, not just people of a certain status or education level, but anyone who wants to donate. You know, most people have a good kidney. Our bodies don't discriminate in the ways that we as a society and culture might. And so how do we make this easy for people? How do we really support them? How do we encourage them if they're interested? in a way that the healthcare system isn't necessarily designed to do. And it also helps my mom. We have many, many conversations when we're putting together videos or education or handouts of, well, how can we make this easier? Okay, that's easier for you, but how could it be easier for anyone on the street who doesn't know what a nephrologist is? And that's an interesting challenge that we have that we are constantly taking other people's info and translating it to be easier and easier and more simple and more fun and just more accessible at large. 
Guys, we could sit and talk to you guys all day. Obviously, you've walked the walk, you talk the talk, and now you want to help others. And we just love that. So, Glenna and Amanda, thank you for taking the time here on The Gifted Life. We'd love to have you back. We know that you're doing amazing things with kidney donor conversations. Um, if you guys uh, were moved or inspired uh, to register, you can do that at registerme.org to sign up as an organ, tissue, and eye donor. And if you want to find out more, you want to connect with these ladies, you can do that at mykdc.org. That's mymykdc.org. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Laurie. Uh, today, I have to tell you, I'm very confused about it. Usually, I have a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, today's topic is toxic positivity. Ooh. <laughs> now, I'm curious now, Sarah, what you got? Tell us more. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what we're going to talk about today is toxic positivity, which I know is confusing, but essentially what it is, is when you are toxically positive, it means you're being overly excessive and ineffective of a happy or optimistic situation. So, you're denying minimizing and invalidating the genuine human emotional experience. My eyes are really big right now. Whoa. Yeah. That so was can you give me any, <laughs> I want an example because I yes. may be falling into this. Yes. So yes. <laughs> I will. Cause this, cause this is something I do feel very passionately about as a mental health professional. I think a lot of times people's answers to you are to just be positive, which isn't very helpful. Um, it's when you're being, you're denying all of your negative emotions. It's okay to have negative emotions. It's okay to struggle. The answer isn't just be positive about it and good things will happen. Sometimes that's not helpful in a real life situation, you know? Um, so when you deny your negative experiences, it makes, it invalidates them. So like when, when your ex like uh, gets engaged or something like that. And then you're mm -hmm. on Facebook say, yeah, woo, it's so good for you. That's a little <laughs> right. overboard. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's not a, yes. That's not a genuine human experience or emotion. So when you are positive, when you're toxic in your positivity, you're hiding what you really feel. You're dismissing your emotions. You feel guilty for your negative emotions and you show other, so you lose an opportunity to show others a real and different experience. So when you're overly positive to the point where you're not fully experiencing your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions, it can be toxic because you're not going through that full experience of what it is to be human. And I think on social it, media too, I, keeps popping in my brain, like keeping up with the Joneses, like, oh, they're posting mm -hmm. that. So look what we're doing over here. And we've got crawfish. And, you know, and, and so you, you <laughs> kind of see some, especially during the pandemic, because really right. what else is there to do? Um, so I can see how that would kind of wear thin the longer it goes on. Right. Well, it's not very helpful to just be positive all the time. It's okay to go through. And it's actually a really empowering thing when you go through your negative feelings, your negative emotions, um, and it makes you who you are. So I know a lot of times people will say everything happens for a reason. A really good counterpoint to that is to say, it's okay to feel bad sometimes, because that's the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
another thing, a lot of times people will say failure is not an option. Counter that instead with failure is part of growth. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need those written down, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can, and Sarah knows, you know, from, from our relationship, you know, over time, you know, with, with what we do, I'm constantly looking for silver linings and, mm-hmm. and I may, I feel like I may fall into this from time to time because to me, every situation I, I try to bury the, the, whatever that, that negativity is and just focus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, that was thrown our way, but it's, you know, this, 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 and this were great. You know, even the, the pandemic, you know, there's so many positive things that have come, you know, out of it, you know, uh, you know, outside of all, obviously all the negative things, you know, there's so many different things that we can take as change agents moving forward. And, and I fall into this all the time that sometimes I probably come across certainly uh, as though I would be a little bit on the toxic side. But I think that's okay. As long as when, you know, a lot of times too in our field, like we see really hard things and we see our families going through the worst situations of their lives. And so we can kind of reflect that on our own lives a lot and say, you know, it could be worse, which is true, but it's okay. And sometimes we do experience bad things and we need support. So recognizing that and recognizing that it's okay when bad things happen and it's okay that it could be worse, how can we get support and how can we give support? It's a, it's, you know, this whole conversation really is about just being positive. Isn't the only answer. It's It's good. And positivity is good, but we need to have the full human experience and recognize in others and in ourselves that it's not the only answer. Right. It's, it's validating all emotions as opposed to just, forcing uh, sometimes a a kind of fake positive emotion. That's exactly right. It's when it's ingenuine and when it's ignoring everything else in your life. I have a friend, we've been friends since the first grade. And so we both have a lot of children. We both work. And so every couple of months, we just have a a downtime. I was like, my house is not clean. I have no idea what I'm going to feed the kids. And she said, same here. Makes me feel better, right? <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. real. This is true. Um, yep. And we just kind of vent to it. This is what we've been going through. How are you dealing with that? And so just having that other person going through the same thing, being real, that mm-hmm. helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any other tips, Miss Sarah? No, just, you know. Be your authentic self. And when you are genuine and authentic with yourself, other people respond to it and they want to help you and support you. And so I think when we're overly positive, when we're toxically positive, we can at times eliminate people wanting to help us and people wanting to support us. So just be yourself and be truthful with your experiences. I like that. Maybe you have a topic you want Miss Sarah to cover. Info at thegiftedlife.org. We'd love to hear from you. In every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today, we learn about our hero, Timothy Thompson, from his family. Although we miss him dearly, our hearts smile because he has given the gift of life. Even though he was only 33 years old, he touched many lives with his beautiful blue eyes, infectious smile, and good old-fashioned Southern manners. 
Tim lived life to the fullest and had a very colorful past full of stories and memories. As an automobile technician, he proudly worked alongside his older brother at a car dealership and loved to fish on his days off. If Tim could talk to us now, he would say that he is proud of being able to help others. He truly is our hero. And now we pause and say thank you to Timothy for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment, where do I go if I'd like to donate a kidney to someone in need? It does not need to be someone I know. Because living donation does not go through the organ procurement organization such as LOPA, uh, you would have to go to your local transplant center. Uh, if you don't know who that is, you can certainly check with your primary care physician. Uh, and if he or she doesn't, uh, can't give you some direction there, you can always go to unos.org. That's U-N-O-S dot O-R-G. And there's a tab that says a transplant. And under that, it's living donation. And on in there, you can find pretty much everything you need to know to get started to become a living donor. All right. Great question. Great answer. Maybe you have a question for our Gifted Life podcast team. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call, 504-648-3477. And that'll do it for episode 137 of The Gifted Life. Yes. Thanks to Ms. Glenna Fry and her daughter, Amanda, for coming on and sharing and inspiring their persistence. I mean, the, the, it was so impressive to listen to all the things that that they have both gone through in their life and still come out swinging, still come out trying to do more. It's amazing. Great guests, great story. Uh, we certainly appreciate their time. Hopefully that inspired you to take action. Uh, are you registered to be an organ, tissue, and eye donor? Uh, we hope so. If not, you can do that now, registerme.org. And for more information, go to our website, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to our podcast there or on Apple, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and subscribe so that others can find our podcast. And of course, if you're on social media, go ahead and like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at giftedlifepod. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. Go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. It matters. Have a good one. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs> <laughs>